0: Claritas is an industry leader in providing brands, agencies, and publishers with a complete closed-loop marketing platform to help marketers identify the right potential customers more precisely, deliver more effective multi-channel campaigns across audiences' preferred channels, and optimize campaigns more accurately and efficiently through robust attribution and incremental lift analysis, measuring both online and offline channels, including podcast, digital audio, and advanced television. Claritas's offerings are strengthened by the recent acquisition of Arts AI, integrating AI-powered technology to underpin an already robust identity graph, which fuels the accuracy, effectiveness, and efficiency of all their solutions. Claritas is committed to being an independent third-party partner, providing marketers with an unbiased and objective approach for building, executing, and measuring online and offline marketing campaigns. Find out more at claritas.com.
1: Welcome to Great Minds. And our guest today is Katie Talakowska. Katie is the chief executive officer of The Valuable 500. The Valuable 500 is an incredible organization. And and Katie, we're going to start by talking about Carolyn Casey, the incredible founder of The Valuable 500. We had a chance to have Carolyn and, and Paul Paulman, uh, wonderful wonderful gent, who was the global chief executive officer for many years of Unilever and an early supporter of the Valuable 500 on our stage in London several years ago. I think we had them in New York as well. Uh, We share a wonderful PR shop, Seven Hills, which has worked for us for many, many years uh, at Advertising Week Europe. Uh, Nick Giles, Matthew Rollins, the team there, dear, dear friends. And uh, we were delighted when the Seven Hills team came to us, Katie, and suggested uh, we talk to you. So a hearty welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for the opportunity.
1: So uh, let's start by talking about Carolyn, because she's such an incredible woman. It was her vision, uh, no pun intended here, that really launched the Valuable 500. So can we talk a little about Carolyn? I want to get to you and her in a, in a big event in 2019 in Davos at the World Economic Forum, which I know is pivotal on your uh, joining the organization. But let's start by talking a little bit about the great Carolyn Casey.
2: Of course. So, um, Caroline is a, is a self-declared uh, optimist, uh, hustler, and dangerous dreamer. And uh, I think those words are very intentional because that really embodies her, her spirit, and I think... Um, is is why she's been so successful. She actually achieved the near impossible. So in terms of what Caroline did, Caroline, and you mentioned this Matt in the intro, in 2019, Caroline launched the Valuable 500, which was a call to arms and a call to action to 500 CEOs, 500 CEOs of the world's largest and most influential companies. And she asked them effectively to end the CEO silence and put disability on the board agenda. Because in a world where, happily, everyone was beginning to talk about the importance of diversity and inclusion and representation, Caroline, as a woman who is registered legally blind, she, she realised that what was uh, conspicuous by its absence, and woefully so, was disability. No one was talking about disability. And when you think that one in five of the population, that's 1.3 billion people on our planet, live with a disability, The fact that 20% of the world's population were not being spoken about, not being talked to, not being represented in our boardrooms and in our workforces and in our advertising and throughout the supply chain, that was pretty woeful. And Caroline really at that time was on a one woman mission to to do something about it and end disability exclusion in business. You mentioned Paul Polman, he was um, CEO of Unilever at the time and he was the he was one of the first ceos who stood shoulder to shoulder with caroline and said yeah we're going to end the silence we're going to start talking about it um and all, all in service or disability in, inclusion so caroline yeah i mean she was a, she was one woman with a clear dream and a clear mission and an absolutely unstoppable spirit um and that's how, that's how she started it and and i was lucky enough to meet caroline 6 months prior so that was the summer of 2018, when I was working for an Omnicom agency, BBDO, the the London office, Um, I can come onto that in a moment in terms of the brands I was overseeing, but I'd started to have a bit of a personal and professional journey and and passion for disability inclusion. And I met Caroline um, and I'd heard her speak. And for those who've met Caroline and heard her speak, you leave the room changed and you leave change for the better. And she she affected a little bit of a fire in my belly. And I went to her and said, can can we help uh, user harnessing the power of, of a very good advertising agency? Can we help you create an awareness campaign um, that will be in service of your, of your mission? So we created an awareness campaign that got the 500 CEOs to sign up.
1: A- absolutely fantastic story. And I remember many years ago, uh, and I should call her Dr. Caroline Casey because she is a doctor, came to my office uh, and you do leave the room changed when you spend some time with her let's dig in a little further into the whole conversation around diversity equity inclusion which globally has become i'll use this facetiously facetiously suddenly popular the last several yep. years yep. and certainly yep. a lot of it in america is driven by the black community uh some yep. of it is driven by events like the tragic killing of George Floyd. And the black wheel in America in particular is the squeaky wheel. And there's that old expression, Mm -hmm. the squeaky wheel gets the grease. The Hispanic population gets much less attention. The Asian Pacific Islander conversation gets much less attention. And the disability community, which, as you said, is well over a billion globally, one out of five, my yep. take on what Caroline has done and what you are now carrying forward as chief executive officer of the Valuable Five Hundred is you are giving that community its own squeaky wheel.
2: A hundred percent, hundred percent, and and it's also to it's important to point out, and perhaps I'm stating the obvious, but the disability community is is truly intersectional, and and it's also worth us acknowledging because I think it's really important that we acknowledge that. That sadly, disability can affect any of us at any time through illness, through age, through accident. So it is just plain wrong to not think about such an important uh, part of our community. Um, And so from, from, from my perspective, it is so important to give people a voice because it could affect all of us. You know, I I don't have any direct lived experience, but my my mother-in-law was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when she was 35. She used to be a ballet dancer. My niece is autistic, so I see I see secondhand how society just isn't inclusive, um, and and it, and it's really really important to have those conversations and and give that voice. Under no circumstances am I choosing a favorite. Am I picking a side? It is genuinely about the whole of humanity, making sure that everyone has a voice, everyone is heard, everybody is authentically represented, um, and everyone gets the opportunity to tell their story and and effectively feel the same. Paul Paul Pullman talks, you know, what drives Paul Pullman is an absolute clear and unequivocal um, desire and mission to make sure that no one, no one is left behind. And... That's why Caroline had to make sure that the disability community are not left behind. And and by engaging the might and power of the business community, because like Caroline, you know, I believe passionately, and we believe that the Valuable 500, that sadly you cannot rely exclusively on governments and, and policymakers. You have to, you know, if you're going to have a voice, you have to be heard and you have to be supported by the business community, because it's business that has the greatest ability to make things happen. And I think good business leaders know that it makes great business sense to be truly inclusive across the board. And that absolutely has to include the disabled community.
1: And disability cuts across race, gender, age. 100%. It's a, yeah. a horizontal, if you will, versus a vertical.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It is truly intersectional. Yeah
1: and as uh, one of your gigs at AMV BBDO which we will talk about of course you're a chief talent officer and beyond inclusion as you talked about as it relates to Paul in particular this is also about a lot of very talented people who have a lot to contribute
2: absolutely i mean wouldn't it be wouldn't it be dull if we all had the same story we all had the same way of of looking at things and and, and seeing things. I believe in the power of brands and I believe in the power of storytelling. And if you're telling the same story over and over again from the same, let's say, able-bodied, standardized, and forgive me, I'm not a big fan of of that language, but let's say from a normal kind of baseline perspective, if you just keep telling the same old story, then, then your audience are gonna shut off. You're not gonna be disruptive with your communications. You're not gonna tell stories that resonate. So I think having different voices, having different talents, having different perspectives within the workforce, that, that, that allows you, to, certainly in, in, in my background from advertising, it allows you to tell different, more interesting, engaging stories. Um, so, so, so effectively shutting off the perspective um, and the intellect and the insight and the experience of one in five of the global population just doesn't make any sense.
1: One in five. That's an absolutely staggering statistic. I want to go back and talk about your early career, but it's not everyone, Katie, who at sort of, let's call it, not even the midway point of their career, you're rising up the ladder. You're a chief client officer when you left AMV BBDO. You were there about 12 years. It's not everyone who... Uh, at, in their prime, if you will, decides to leave the industry and go to a not-for-profit. What was behind that decision for you? A lot of people at your level, committed career professionals, they want to keep rising up the ladder, stay on the commercial side, if you will. You made a switch. What drove that decision?
2: Yeah. So it's really interesting that when you say sort of stay on the commercial side, because I think I think what what drove it or was certainly a key influencer is that genuinely I have never separated what I've never separated out society and and business. Okay, so I've never I've never made that distinction or or operated in a silo of thinking, right, today I'm going to do some purpose driven stuff. I'm going to talk about humanity and what's good for society and tomorrow I'm going to talk about what's good for business. I think it is a fundamental mistake when organizations separate out the two. I passionately believe that what's right for commerce, what's right for business, is also what's right for society, and vice versa. So yes, it is true that I was working. Uh, I was working uh, client side. One of my biggest biggest accounts for a really long time was Mars Wrigley Confectionery. I was lucky enough to lead Snickers globally, working with the team in New York for eight years. Um, and yeah, we, we we were there to sell chocolate. You know that I have made a I made a living in in selling stuff, but actually. When you are working with brands that are reaching such a huge percentage of the population, why wouldn't you want to do something else in addition to selling chocolate? But then the unlock is realizing, actually, if we want to grow the brand and we want to sell more stuff, then if our messages are infused with what's right for society, then it's a win-win for everyone. So I think I hadn't made that distinction and always seen that what was right for commerce, what was right for business. So for me, truthfully, It didn't seem a massive change from I'm going in a, you know, I'm going from the, uh, you know, the might of Omnicom, an enormous, powerful, influential commercial holding company to then go and work for a nonprofit. It it actually felt, to be honest, like a bit of a continuation of what I was doing, but with more focus, because when I was working in advertising, rightly brands were going right. What else can we do? Referring to the point I was making before in order to sell more and grow more. What else can we do that's right by society? And that was great, but I really wanted that single-minded focus. And what we have at the Valuable 500 is a clear single-minded mission to work with our 500 companies and the disability business community on this focus of ending disability exclusion in business. So I I still had that commercial bent. I still have that background in commerce and corporates, but I can focus it squarely on genuinely the betterment of society and the betterment of humanity. And I passionately, passionately believe in that. So I suppose to sort of summarize, it, it didn't feel like a massive leap or change. It felt for me like a natural continuation and evolution of what I was doing, but with a greater sense of focus and a greater sense of purpose. And as I referenced, I, I, I did have that long-standing relationship with Caroline. I've always been a, been a supporter and an ally, perhaps from the outside. You know, generating the campaign that I spoke about that helped launch it in Davos uh, twenty nineteen. So for me, when Caroline called me in January and asked me to put my hat in in the ring for what was through necessity a very very hard and very rigorous recruitment process. when she asked me to do that, it just felt so right because that gave me the opportunity to continue what I'd started, but from the inside versus the outside.
1: what What a great story let's dig in a little further to the continuing evolution in thinking on both the agency side and the brand side around embrace of issues that transcend the industry and are bigger than just trying to sell more product or service going back to paul again he was very early to the game around proving that purpose and profit were not at odds as unilever built many of their brands around sustainability earlier than most to embrace uh, what is no longer climate change but the climate crisis talk about what you saw going back to those agency days and what you're seeing now on the front lines with the valuable 500 around a genuine embrace uh, by the marketing community in issues, disability and others that are broader than the industry itself in terms of the stated mission to sell more product or service?
2: If I may, I'd like to, I'd like to give a, a an example of a campaign that I did in 2016 for Maltesers, um, another Mars Wrigley confectionery, uh, brand. Um, so, uh, I was—I mentioned running Snickers globally, but, but but a UK brand that I was overseeing was Maltesers. And in truth, Matt, our communications was pretty woeful. We had spent best part of eight years doing rounds of pre-testing, and nothing was working. Nothing was cutting through. We had an established brand communication platform, which was called "Look on the lighter side" for a global audience who don't know Maltesers—they're little honeycomb balls—and there's a there's an inherent lightness to the product. And we had this this brand platform around looking on the lighter side which was shining a spotlight on humorous everyday moments and we were running campaign after campaign and it wasn't working and then in a beautiful moment of serendipity perhaps where the planets were aligning 2016 was a really important year globally and an important year in the uk because channel four one of our most pioneering and progressive broadcasters um, had the rights to uh, broadcast the Paralympic Games in Rio in, in, in the summer of 2016. And they launched an amazing initiative, which was effectively a call to arms to brands, for for the first time, to authentically represent people with disability in their, communi- in their communications, not as an add-on through casting, but through through telling their stories and authentically representing them. So there I was, and genuinely we were sitting around with the team sort of head in hands, thinking, God, we've got to go through another round of pre-testing. We really don't know where we're going with this. We've got a bit of a problem. And along came effectively a spam email from Channel 4 saying, hey, brands, you know, do you want to do this? And they were giving away a million pounds worth of airtime, as I said, and also the successful ad would be aired during the centre break of the opening ceremony of the Paralympics. So we thought, I think, as a, as a group of sort of like-minded storytellers, we saw actually there's a massive opportunity here to do something that's right for society because at that time in the UK, less than 1% of national primetime advertising featured people with disabilities, let alone was authentically representing them and telling their stories. So there was a, there was a huge opportunity to do something that was right for society, And we thought, what if we can prove the case that we can do successful advertising for Maltesers that will actually grow the brand and sell more chocolate and make the case for business as well? And as I said, you know, this was 2016. This was sort of, you know, seven years ago when perhaps it was on the periphery. I think you use language before, Matt, where it was sort of the fashionable sort of thing to do. But people were sort of playing with it. Was it do good or was it actually going to be in service of the business? So we entered the competition, credit to our fantastic clients at Mars, who took a bit of a leap of faith, because of course it was quite a bold and brave thing to do. This was a humorous platform representing people with disabilities. So were we actually saying, you know, it was really sensitive. We had to break the conventions of how people with people with disabilities what were seen in advertising. And we couldn't run the risk of people thinking that we were laughing at them. So it was quite a sensitive topic. But... We loved a challenge and we thought we just have to do something different and disruptive. So we entered the competition and we were lucky enough to win. And that was a massive, massive game changer because the first sort of big social media response was, this is amazing from a societal perspective. We had the most amazing feedback from people within the disability community saying for the first time, I feel truly seen and heard and I feel truly represented because our, our, the stories that we were telling were actually real stories. We'd done research with Scope, a charity in the UK, and that's a really important thing for brands as well. You know, um, you, know you, you, you must talk to the people that you want to rep- represent in order to do an authentic job. So we'd done, our, we'd done our research, we found these true stories of women living with disabilities and who knew? <laughs> They laugh at the same things as us. They cry at the same things and, and they get angry, angry by the same things. So there we were being able to authentically tell their stories and represent them. We got this fantastic positive feedback from the community, but then from a business perspective, Maltesers saw a 7% direct directly correlated uplift in sales from that campaign. That was massive. That was really, really unprecedented. And the campaign was and still is the single most successful campaign that Maltesers have run in 18 years. So suddenly, Matt, we had this brilliant proof point where we could go back to the business. And if anyone were skeptical or a little bit cynical or just couldn't quite make the case for business and for doing it, we had clear and unequivocal um, evidence in terms of the actual business case so 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 that was really critical and that was a massive unlock and that helped that helped uh, me with my other clients that helped mars across their entire portfolio not just with chocolate but when they were thinking about their pet care brands and everything else and also from a BBO perspective we were able to take that to other clients we were able to infuse it in our new business strategy so it was you know it was this beautiful moment of serendipity where we were we were effectively handed a lifeline um, when our communication was ailing uh, and and then everything skyrocketed so so that for me i'll always go back to that because you know you, you know that was that was a, a real lived experience that was a massive unlock and a massive um catalyst for for, for proper change
1: well and t- tells a great story you know channel 4's embrace of the paralympics really was important, not just in the UK, but globally. And we saw in 2020, or ultimately the Games took place in 21, the Tokyo Summer Olympics. Toyota put a tremendous amount into the Paralympic Games, unprecedented for a brand like that, a global brand, to put so much money into the Paralympic Games. And the Paralympics for many, many years were just sort of conducted almost you know, in a back room quietly. And now they are very prominent. I'm sure they'll be very prominent uh, in 2024 in Paris and uh, going forward in the Winter Games as well. That was really a seminal moment, but I think it's a great example here of UK leadership on a global scale as Channel 4 and brands like the story you just told, uh, Maltesers, a, a personal favorite of mine, really embraced that opportunity to connect with again one in five globally.
2: A hundred percent. Yeah. And 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 it's so important that I, I know this forgive me if this sounds sort of slightly cliched, but the start point has to be why not versus why. And actually if you start with that, then I, I would really challenge anyone to come up with any valid response to why not. Because again, you 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 start with you start with a basic premise. Of we have to we have to speak to, to to the entire population. We can't leave anyone behind. Let's start with a human first. And that makes good business sense because you're going to reach a greater percentage of the population, and therefore your brand is going to grow.
1: So let's you've mentioned your mother-in-law and some other family members who have had some challenges, but let's go back further. When you were growing up, you know, were there things that you saw? Were there things that came from your parents? Your empathy here is genuine, clearly. And you're uniquely skilled uh, to do this job, to succeed someone like Carolina, founder, who has been a big, big driving force here globally. That's a tough set of shoes to step into. Talk about the early part of your life, Katie, which really helped you know, put that recipe together that has rendered you incredibly qualified to do this job. And, and uh, I must tell you, this is a, a conversation that I think is so important for us to have here on Great Minds. We work very hard to present a real jambalaya uh, variety of guests and topics. This is one that we've not gone into as deeply as we should, and it's such an important one.
2: Okay, thank you. So, well, I w- I would start by saying I I I am the eternal optimist. I have huge hope in in the power of mankind. If, if you look at if you look at the world's ills, that um, they've all been created by us. So therefore, I think with the right attitude and the right mindset and the power of the collective, I think we can fix the ills that we have created. So I, I am a great optimist and 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 I genuinely owe it to my parents. I'm I'm very fortunate. Without sounding too sort of white picket fence and 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 Brady Bunch, I I come from a from a, I have a, a you know I have a great family. My mum and dad, if you can believe it, got together when they were fourteen. Uh, they've never been with anyone else. They're going to celebrate uh, fifty six years of marriage in December. So I I had a really lovely clean, simple, happy upbringing. And I'm not saying that to be smug. I am acutely aware of the fact that that's given me a huge privileged perspective on life. But I think by part of that, I I have never ever taken anything for granted because conversely, my parents actually had really quite troubled upbringing and and they were sort of, they they came together in this sense of solidarity, of wanting to create a really safe, stable unit. Um, my dad's a massive self-starter. Both my mom and dad came from incredibly humble beginnings. Um, my dad won't mind me saying this. He was a bit of a reprobate and a tearaway. My mom was gloriously squeaky clean and a bit nerdy and got him on the straight and narrow. Um, and he had no education to speak of. But my mom said, if we're going to get married and have kids, you've got to go back to school. And my dad ended up being a senior partner in a law firm. And that was a law firm when when he was 16, he was a shine boy at the law firm and then worked in the post room. So I only say that to let you know that I, I, it's an overused word, but I'm so inspired by my my parents' story and their dedication and commitment. And my sister and I genuinely really wanted for nothing. And when I say wanted for nothing, we wanted for nothing in terms of family support and love. So I think by virtue of having that, that's made me realize how that's really set me on my pathway. But for so many people, they really don't have that. And so I, 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 I just I'm I'm a massive believer in in equality and equity. And you know, no, no one can choose where they're born or what family or set of circumstances who they're born into, um born into. So so I think it's incumbent from us as just good people and and again by extension good businesses to try and level that playing field, to try and give everybody a chance. Um and it's interesting, you know, someone like Caroline, I, I know she won't mind me saying this. Caroline had a, ha, had a less easier personal journey. So Caroline, uh, we are all, we are all creations, I suppose, um, of, of both, our, you know, our, our family situation, and of course, to a degree, external factors. Mine was an easier journey. Caroline's was a, was a much tougher journey. But actually, we, we meet in the middle within, with, with hugely shared values um, uh, and, 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 and the same set of motivators. Caroline determined to make sure that everybody has a chance um, because perhaps she felt she didn't have that at the beginning and she saw firsthand that not everybody was afforded a chance. And I was given every single possible chance on the planet. And I'm, I'm so supremely grateful for that. But rather than me just going off and feeling elitist and smug, it makes me want to make sure that I can pass that on and, and afford everybody the same opportunity. So um, yeah, I, I think for me, I, I've just been incredibly lucky to be able to see how good the world can be if you are given a chance and you're given an opportunity. And I, I want to extend that to others because that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And that's still what keeps me motivated and, hop- and happy. Um, but yeah, I, I, hope that, I hope that makes sense. No,
1: a- absolutely fantastic and, and such a genuine story. Let's talk about doing the job. You've been chief exec now since uh, June, so it's only a few months, but talk about what you're sort of keeping the same, if you will, what changes you're looking to make, and again, awfully big set of shoes that you have stepped into.
2: Awfully big, although I must say for, for everyone listening, Caroline is still very much around as the uh, as the founder, so I'm stepping into shoes, um, but ha- but happily, I have Caroline very much Shoulder to shoulder with me, which is amazing and, and and very necessary. So, so in terms of where we are at the Valuable Five Hundred now, if I, I, we are we are absolutely and critically flipping into a new and needed stage of accountability and action and delivery. If the first phase of the Valuable Five Hundred was was uh, galvanizing the leaders of of five hundred, and actually now Matt, we have five hundred and twenty three companies working with us, which is incredible. And brilliant, brilliant uh, companies. You know, you're probably aware we work with Apple and Microsoft and Google, EY, Sony, Deloitte, BBC, Sky, PayPal, a whole host of amazing, influential and like-minded organizations. So so phase one was uh, getting their commitments to start talking about disability and put it on their board agenda, as Caroline would say, ending the CEO silence on disability. And Caroline and the wonderful team at the Valuable 500 in partnership with the 500 companies and also our brilliant um, sort of community of uh, uh, disability business experts. They've been researching and innovating to identify the three uh, biggest uh, barriers to driving meaningful system change. And those three barriers, and, and it was necessary to do that to give us focus. Under no circumstances am I saying that there are only three problems. Sadly, there are way more than three, but in the spirit of focus and in the spirit of getting the job done, it was necessary to research and, and innovate to identify those three problems, which were lack of disability uh, representation within the workforce. So one of our big, what we call synchronized collective actions, and I'll come on to that is around reporting, so problems with reporting lack of disability representation in leadership and also less uh, lack of disability representation in media and advertising and specifically internal corporate communications and external consumer facing communications. So reporting, leadership and representation. Those were the three system barriers. So my job now, as we look ahead and we have a specific deadline and a specific target and destination in mind, we are working towards what we are calling the worlds and it will be the world's first accountability summit. And that will be in Tokyo on the 3rd of December, 2025. And I'm sure you'll know Matt, that the 3rd of December is, a, is Possibly the single most important date uh, in within the disabled community because it's International Day of Persons with Disability. So, 3rd of December 2025, the world's first accountability summit, hosted by the Valuable 500 in partnership with the Nippon Foundation, our amazing uh, sort of lead donors. We will be holding hands, but also uh, holding hands with, but also holding to account our companies to say, what have you done to drive system change? and to, uh, to help fix and mend those three big problems. So I mentioned synchronized collective action. Now that's very much our mantra, and you'll hear that a lot and you'll read that a lot in any kind of article or, or podcast like these around the Valuable 500. We talk about synchronized collective action because our 523 companies credit to them all in their own way. They are already beginning to, uh, you know, to instigate initiatives and programs to address those three system barriers. But at the valuable 500, this is why we believe in the power of the business. You know, imagine if we've got 523 companies and let's not forget these are these are companies that have um, a combined market cap of 28 trillion US dollars in 64 sectors. Headquarters in 43 companies. So a lot of statistics, but an enormous power and might. If you've got those companies working together to address the same problem at the same time, in the same way, that's the beauty and the power of synchronized collective action. That's, that's when you get that rising tide, and that's when we will properly, properly see system change. Let's not operate in silos. Let's hold hands, let's galvanize each other and let's come together. So, so that that's what we're doing, delivering with our companies uh, in partnership with the disability business community against those three synchronized collective actions around reporting, leadership and representation to work towards this summit on the 3rd of December in Tokyo on in 2025.
1: Absolutely fantastic story. And so glad to have this chance to talk to you, Katie. As we start to wrap, If there's one piece of advice or an ask of the broader community what would that be and i also want to throw something else out that came to mind we had a wonderful seminar on stage at advertising week apac in sydney with a group that i'm going to guess you're familiar with the unstereotyped alliance yes yeah and we're doing something with them again in new york i know we've worked with the valuable 500 uh, around your launch Period back in nineteen with Caroline and and Paul on stage, but I'd love to pick this conversation up with you, uh, and take you with us sort of everywhere we go. Uh, it's such an important conversation, and uh, while I'm grateful that we're doing something uh, for the disability community with the Unstereotyped Alliance, I'd love to continue this conversation with you and and brand leaders who are really recognizing the importance, but. Let's go back to that question, which is a piece of advice or a call to action or, you know, what would you like people to do going forward?
2: Well, one quick thing before I answer that question, I promise I will. Uh, the good news is I found out this morning um, that I, I am going to be in in New York Um for ad week. And I think I'm going to be seeing you guys on the 17th as well and being part of a panel. So uh, delighted to have that opportunity and super excited to continue the, the conversation.
1: Fantastic. That so, is great so, news. So
2: hot off the press. Um, so I think in terms of, in terms of one piece of advice, I, I think the critical thing for me is be fearless, be, be, be sensitive, but be absolutely fearless and just start because again and maybe this comes down to my upbringing and my eternal sense of optimism i don't think that there is some machiavellian plot or any nefarious sort of behavior by businesses or brands who aren't beginning to start the the conversation around disability inclusion i i don't think anyone is actively seeking to exclude i think it is because they are scared and they are fearful they're scared of saying the wrong thing and they're scared of not being good enough and You know, I I think it is critical. One of, I I spoke to you before about our synchronized collective actions. One of our things is around reporting. And we we launched at Davos a reporting white paper and we've identified five KPIs that we're asking all of our companies to incorporate into their investor dialogue and into their uh, annual reports. And we did initially have some companies say, well, we're nervous about reporting because we don't think we're very good. We don't think we're good enough. And in my mind, in this sphere, there is no such thing as bad data. Just measure where you are, be accountable for where you are, own where you are, and, and then you get visibility of the way forward and, and, and then you can grow. Honestly, genuinely, I don't care if it's zero, genuinely, just measure where you are so you can then track the truth, track the, track the change and, and then measure the data. So I think my advice would be do everything you can not to be fearful of getting it wrong because you will only really get it wrong if you don't start and you don't try. So that, that would be my piece of advice, you know, just, just start with the heart, start with the heart, because I do believe that everyone will understand that it is the right thing to do from a, from a human perspective, to be truly inclusive and to give everybody an opportunity. So start with that. And then the head can kick in in terms of your metrics and your measurements, but just don't, don't let the head silence the heart and think it's too complicated, we're not good enough, our industry peer is better, it, it doesn't matter in this instance. Just start the conversation, ditch the fear, and then we'll be in a much better place.
1: So, so well said, and let's extend that one step further. The heart to the head is also ultimately how we get to the bottom line in the wallet, and your story about Malteser share going up 7%, tells that story in exemplary fashion. And I think for all the businesses, more than 500 now that are part of the valuable 500 Global Family, this is a ultimate manifestation of doing good, also good for business. And uh, absolutely begins with the heart uh, and your story so heartfelt, but this is very much about ensuring that your business is part of the conversation and taking talent from every community. And why would you want to exclude, exclude 20% of the population from the outset? That would be crazy on paper if you were talking about any constituency, any gender, any race, any ethnicity, uh, any one with any sort of issue or disability or anything else, you wanna to talk to 100% of your customers and draw from a hundred percent of the talent pool. And that's at the core of Caroline's vision for the valuable 500, which you are now carrying that torch clearly quite splendidly.
2: Thank you, Matt. Thank you. It's, uh, it's the best thing I've ever done. And it's the most important thing I've ever done. It's the hardest, (laughs) but I'm totally undeterred. Uh, and I'm optimistic. Um, And, and yeah, I have, I have amazing, I have amazing people with me and, uh, I'm really excited for what the future holds, but, but thank you so much for this opportunity, Matt. It's been amazing, amazing
1: to talk to you. And thank you for doing this. Great to have you, Katie.
2: Thank you.